Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Censored the podcast full of smutty spoilers for old books. I'm Aoife Vrtnach, historian and dedicated smut seeker. I'm on Twitter, at CensoredPod, if you want to suggest dirty books for future seasons, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I don't mind if you call me a dirty bitch, but Apple will definitely censor that, so try and be polite. The book I'm talking about this time is The Chapman Report by Irving Wallace. Published in 1961, it was banned that same year by the Irish censors. Irving Wallace was an American screenwriter and novelist, and this was his first best-selling book. It's a very thinly disguised account of the work of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, particularly his report, Sexual Behaviour in the Human Female, which was published in 1953. There's a disclaimer at the start of the Chapman Report that this book has nothing to do with Kinsey, but that's a complete lie. Wallace's book was successful enough to inspire a film called The Chapman Report, the best part of which is Jane Fonda in a fabulous white outfit. To explain the complicated reaction to Kinsey and the part played by Wallace's book in that, my guest is Dr. Donna Drucker. She's the author of Contraception, A Concise History, and The Classification of Sex, Alfred Kinsey and the Organisation of Knowledge. She teaches English and History at Darmstadt Technical University in Germany. Now, I really did need something to get me through this book. One of the main characters is an alcoholic nymphomaniac, so I felt a bit queasy about the usual booze supports. But the opening chapters also detail the weight and body shape of all the women. It's like Wallace has a sexist BMI calculator. It's very creepy. Although the narrative appears upbeat and glossy at first, Wallace is very judgy about the women's behaviours, carnal or otherwise. So even though the alcoholic character drinks gin neat, I drank gin to spite Wallace. And I had snacks, because nothing makes me hungrier than body shaming. This book tells the story of Dr. Chapman, who's studying the sexual lives of married women in America. It opens on a morning in the Briars, a privileged white suburban estate in Los Angeles. All the female characters are introduced one by one, and it feels quite desperate housewives. You can tell from his style that Wallace wrote screenplays. 
the women are being summoned to a community meeting about the research of Dr Chapman by the chief Stepford wife. We meet a number of types of married woman, frigid young widow, drunken nymphomaniac divorcee, adulteress, self-centred career woman, a very young just married woman and bored intellectual snob. The book then cuts to Dr Chapman on a train surrounded by three young men, his team of researchers. So there are two castes, the suburban women and the academic outsiders. I think the easily offended censor wouldn't have made it past chapter one, where the women's sex lives are outlined. The woman who's having an affair, Sarah, describes her married sex life thus. Love he performed dutifully, breathing hard once a week, on Sunday night, never satisfying her. And if that wasn't bad enough, she uses contraception for her adulterous assignations. Wallace's book could never have been allowed in Ireland. Mentioning sex was indecent, and the contraception was illegal. To add insult to injury, the newly wed character has read a sex manual, which were also banned in Ireland, and tried out the advice. There's quite an explicit sex scene between her and her husband in the first chapter, which I'm going to read out to you. Slowly, she sank to the orange mat beside Norman, then, cradled in his arm, lowered herself to her back, hardly aware of the cool contact of tile on her shoulder blades and legs. Eyes shut, she felt the sure fingers at her gown, and the desired and beloved presence all-encompassing, and in a moment she gave herself completely to sensation, unable any longer to remember that her father was downstairs, waiting. Hardly the dutiful daughter if she's keeping her father waiting because she's shagging her husband. But the divorcee with the drink and sex problem must really have given the censors a heart attack. She was attractive and had always been attractive as long as she could remember. Now, at 31, the bouffant hairdo, dark slow eyes, flaring little nose and small full mouth gave the promise of strange delights and eroticism. Her frame, she was only five feet one, seemed sculpted from ivory by a master craftsman. Every feature and limb was perfectly proportioned, except the breasts, which were oversized with abnormally prodigious brown nipples that reduced men to inarticulate slaves and gave Naomi the feeling of physical superiority usually possessed only by the very young. That's pretty strange. Does she go around flashing her nipples at men on the street? In this introductory character description, we learn she was sexually assaulted as a child, she drinks compulsively, and she cheated on her husband. Then she practically jumps a delivery man. It's so risque. I can imagine the censors totting over loose American novels as they read this. Apart from the body-shaming references to women's weight, chapter one is the best chapter of the book. It's racy, the character sketches are amusing, and it's a good setup. Then we're forced to endure the Chapman-focused chapters, which feel like non-fiction as scientific method and scholarly debates are trashed out. There is a brief thrill when Chapman first reads out part of his questionnaire on chapter two. And here it is. Question. Do you feel any sexual desire at the sight of the male genitalia? Answer. 14% feel strong desire. 39% feel a slight desire. 
6% say it depends on the entire physique of the man, 41% feel nothing at all. Dr. Chapman lifted his head, pleased. Significant, he said. There's a lot you could say about that result alone, but they go on to have a methodological discussion about reconciling individual stories with mass data, and I died a little. The funniest part, for me, was that one of Chapman's questions features the sex scene in Lady Chatterley's Lover, the famously banned book, and I'll read this bit out to you. Does the sex scene you have just read from the unexpurgated Lady Chatterley's Lover by D. H. Lawrence, the scene among the dense fir trees, erotically stimulate you in any way? Yes, strongly, 30%. Only somewhat, 21%. Not at all, 49%. I agree with the imaginary married women of America, Lawrence's pants. Also, I thought the unedited edition of Lady Chatterley's Lover was banned in America during the 50s. Anyway, this was a rare moment of levity for me, because every time Wallace included the science bits, the narrative got clunky and I got very bored. The funny thing is, the public fascination with Kinsey and his scientific work is why Wallace wrote the book in the first place. The Kinsey reports were a massive sensation, as Donna explained to me. When uh, the mail volume was published, it was very widely read. It sold 185,000 copies in the first two months of publication. Um, and it is not an easy book to read. I don't know how many people bought it, who bought it actually ended up reading, reading the whole thing. But it was sensational. It, it was so kind of interdisciplinary that... Well, religious people, sociologists, anthropologists, uh, psychologists, any member of the lay public who had any interest in sex would um, would buy it. And so it landed on a in a immediate post-war culture that was kind of eager for um, knowledge about um, what made people's sex lives kind of tick and how, not as an advice manual really, but as just kind of a um, a volume for understanding. We now live in a world where sex surveys are part of daily life. Magazines, newspapers, radio, podcasts, all feature surveys about sexual behaviour and desires. The problem with reading the Chapman report today is that Wallace is writing about the controversy surrounding the Kinsey reports in the 50s. He is trying to argue that data cannot capture the full range of human emotion around sex. As Donna explains... Wallace is voicing criticism that Kinsey himself faced. I think for Wallace and for kind of the the Jonas character, uh, who again embodies many of Kinsey's critics, they th they think that he doesn't take love into account or that it's not important enough to discuss. And what Kinsey thinks really is know that it's simply that love and emotion cannot be quantified, and that. This is a quantitative study. And he says um, in a lecture in uh, spring of 1940, uh, a quotation that I'd like to read to you about how he separates emotion from one of his quantitative studies. He says, 
Now, intercourse consists of a series of physiological reactions, which are as mechanical as the blinking of an eyelid. Emotional acceptance of this series of physiological events may be what you recognize as love. It may provide the inspiration for the writing of the poet and the philosopher of all mankind, but fundamentally, at base, the first part of the story is a story of mechanical responses, which are as inevitable when the stimuli are provided as any other ordinary reflex of any other part of the body. And so here he's saying, you know, love is an emotion that people attribute to a desire for intercourse. And that since that can't be um, counted in a way that something like an orgasm can be counted, it's not that it isn't real, but it isn't going to be part of study. But of course, many, many, many people think that Kinsey just doesn't think love is important or real. Of course he does. Of course he does. Personally, I think the problem with Wallace's argument against quantitative data is his use of the word love. The skeptics in the book keep talking about love like you can never separate it from sex. So they say make love like it's some mystical experience requiring deep emotional connections. I found this perplexing since the female characters have different needs that they are expressing sexually. The divorcee trying to jump the delivery man expresses her trauma through brief sexual encounters, while the bored intellectual wonders whether she's missing out on physical pleasure. I don't think that either of these women are looking to make love. While I was reading this book, there was a lot of disbelieving snorts and mutterings about category errors. You know people who shout at the TV? I shout at the books I read. And then there was the relationship between Dr. Chapman and his team. Although the book is called after Chapman, the moral centre of the narrative is his assistant, Paul Radford. At the beginning of the book, Radford deifies Chapman, hangs on his every word, even says he has messianic qualities. Toxic academia writ large there. He slowly begins to doubt Chapman's method, then his personal morality, and finally turns his back on him completely. The mad thing is that the real story of Kinsey and his team was the total opposite, as Donna explained to me. Uh, the character Paul Radford is based on the youngest member of Kinsey's interview team, a man named uh, Clyde Martin, who who died, I think, four or five years ago. And Martin was the only member of the team uh, without a PhD, but he was also a really superior uh, interviewer. And there's all kinds of evidence that, you know, that Martin and Kinsey might have had um, a physical relationship with each other, but it's never been uh, confirmed. Although what Martin ended up doing is not leaving the team until 1958, which was two years after Kinsey's death. And he ends up getting a PhD eventually and also making a name for himself as the first scientist to find a link between uh, sexually transmitted infections and women's susceptibility to cervical cancer. So he takes his knowledge of uh, human sexual behavior away from this kind of interview setting and takes it in a different direction. 
so to say that he's kind of the moral center is a little a little strange or it simply wasn't true of the real Clyde Martin and also the there's another fictionalization of the Kinsey reports by um an author called T.C. Boyle uh, who wrote a book called The Inner Circle in 2005 and I imagine he read the Kinsey I'm sorry I imagine he read the Chapman reports but interestingly he also makes the Clyde Martin stand-in character who he calls John Milk the moral center who also ends up leaving the team because Kinsey doesn't understand love. You could say that Wallace's deep unease over Radford and Chapman is a homophobic response to Kinsey's relationship with Martin. I know this feels like a bit of a reach, but this book doesn't deserve any respect. If he's going to be all moralistic, then I can do what I like as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The narrative is deeply conservative. In spite of that racy opening chapter where married women send the kids to school and then head out to meet their lovers. I'll take you through the story arc of a few characters to show you just how Wallace punishes the women for unconventional sexual expression. The bored intellectual, Teresa, fancies a brawny football player and arranges to meet him. When she propositions him, he is extremely enthusiastic, but it's all very disappointing, and this is from chapter 11. She tingled in anticipation of the long, excruciating feast of love that would now begin every inch of her being weighted to be brought to the peak of desire. The bed trembled as he knelt on it, and, as she waited to accept his kisses and caresses, she was suddenly shocked to find him directly atop her, pinning her shoulders, crushing her beneath his terrible weight. And then she cried out, not with pain but with outrage, when she realised that he was making love to her. She twisted her head aside, protesting this madness. Ed, not yet, not yet, you haven't, I'm not. 
Ignoring all but her body, he went on, frenzied. She reached to push him away, but she might as well have tried to move the Empire State Building. She opened her eyes. He was performing quite apart from her like a senseless animal. She felt nothing, no connection with him beyond the ridiculous pressure, that and the irritating sand on her bottom, that and the stale, beery breath above, the panting harmonising with the yelling children beneath the room. She tried to free herself of the tiresome burden, but when she did so, he frightened her by squealing like a pig and exhaling an explosion of breath. And then, after a moment, he disengaged himself and fell on his side. Poor Teresa. The first time she tries to hook up for a bit of casual sex, and this is what she got? Understandably, she legs it out of the room quickly, then returns to her husband and is thoroughly grateful for her comfortable life of boring sex. She doesn't change anything about her married life, by the way. She doesn't buy a sex manual, talk to her husband about their scheduled routine sex life, or even cultivate a rich fantasy life. Turns out all she needed was the marriage she had all along. God, I'm just not able for all this unrealistic, happily ever after stuff. And the next example is of the ordinary suburban mother, Sarah, who found passion and great sex outside her marriage. She ends up murdered just as she is about to leave her husband in the ultimate example of narrative punishment. This is such trash. I fucking hate this book. But the crowning glory of the whole mess is the story of Kathleen, the frigid widow. She and Radford fall in love, but she cannot agree to marry him because she knows she has a problem with sex. Her husband had effectively raped her for years, and she blamed herself for her inability to enjoy sex. She insists Radford sleep with her to show him exactly how awful her problem is, and the sex scene goes on and on and on. Much of it is a weird, repetitive interior discussion by Kathleen. Wallace is not the right sort of writer to do this well at all. There's so much of it that I struggled to find the best bits for you. But here we go from chapter 13, the sex scene between Kathleen and Radford. She tried objectively to see herself, to see this act of sexual intercourse. Always before, she had thought Constant Chatterley's melting beneath the ardour of the moustached gamekeeper an absurdity of fiction. How could any man release a woman from bondage to her inhibited past? And by means such as this? And yet now, clinging to her lover, the old doubt seemed less certain. Objectivity seemed to slide away. Because now, now, his love was so full inside her, parting and rending her flesh from its old inertia, heating her skin so recently cold, arousing her limbs with his consummating desire, lifting her passivity to the turmoil and rage of rapture and lust. His love, my arse. You mean his cock, Kathleen. Yes, I'm afraid this is the worst example of the magic cock trope so far. The only thing the woman with sex hang-ups needed was a good riding. But a good riding from a man who loves her, who wants to marry her. Only good, soon-to-be marital sex can fix a broken woman. And truly, there is some shocking prose in this sex scene. It goes on. She had come alive. She had crossed the barrier. She was his own. She had loved him before this night, but it had not been her entire life 
but now she could not live without him. She opened her eyes, meaning to ask him, but found that she had no voice except in her womb. And so with that, wildly, shamelessly, proudly, she told him her need, and he answered in her womb, and then with his lips whispering against her eyelids and parted mouth. Honestly, a talking womb? What sort of crazy shit is this? This is dreadful. It had to be her womb as well, the seat of life and everything. I was revolted by this book. The morality of it made me ill. Wallace condemns married women and their sex lives, especially those who seek sex outside marriage. In the guise of talking about Kinsey's research, Wallace wrote a deeply conservative text. But when Donna explained the reaction of American society to the Kinsey reports, I understood why this book was the way it was. Interestingly, the public response to the Kinsey reports is pretty radically different between the male volume and the female volume. So the male volume comes out um, January 1948, of course, only two and a half years after World War II. And it's really heralded as this signifier of democratic inquiry. Sea uh, world, this is what American science can do if you allow it to flourish in a democratic society. And also we know men are terrible and they have extramarital affairs all the time and they have sick animals. And so men being beastly isn't a big surprise. But when the female volume comes out uh, five and a half years later, August of 1953, the social atmosphere is a lot different. And the same people who thought, oh, well, you know, men are kind of terrible and they have these affairs and so on, did not want to hear that about American women having affairs, um, having sex with other women, masturbating, having sex with animals, uh, having sex with each other. And that kind of um, thorough study of women's sexuality was actually seen as exposing a weakness in American society to say that Kinsey is affiliated with communists because this report clearly weakens the worldview of American women. And this is a sign that women in America are degenerate and not upholding standards of family values. And the communists can use this report against us. And so not long after the female volume comes out, uh, Kinsey loses his major funder and dies quite early at the age of 62, basically exhausted from trying to fundraise uh, to keep his research research going. And so, again, even though the Kinsey reports are usually thought of as um, a unit, they're actually very different books that landed in very different American publics, even though they were only published five and a half years apart. This book was part of an anti-scientific, misogynistic backlash against Kinsey's work. The last few pages of the Chapman report show the women meeting up after his research was published. Kathleen is not only married, she's pregnant. Teresa, the woman who failed to find good sex inside or outside marriage, gives the final judgment. She tells the assembled ladies... That dreadful book should be classified as fiction, not non-fiction. That's what I think. And the last sentence in the book is, and almost everyone in the group solemnly agreed. 
So there you go. Sexology and statistical studies are all bogus and nothing can compare to the joyous union of man and woman in marriage. Such bullshit. I'm not recommending that you read this book. If this book was a person, I'd call it a gobshite. There are many sex scenes, but the moral judgment and faux psychology that saturates them makes them the opposite of erotic. I think it's funny that the censors banned a book whose message was so regressive. The Chapman Report believes getting married, being married and staying married, no matter what, is the solution to all ills. True happiness, which isn't even about sex, can only be found in marriage. What could be more palatable to Irish censors than that? Of course, readers would have had to wade through a lot of scientific debate and smut to find that message. For the censor, the end did not justify the means. I suspect the film of the Chapman Report was also banned in Ireland. The film censors were just as thorough as the print ones. There's one last thing I'd like to say about this awful book. Copies of it dating from 1974 are available in the Irish Public Library system, suggesting it was added to the collections in the 70s or 80s. OK, so the book was available only in Watford City and Eden Derry, but that still counts. The actual Kinsey reports that Wallace trashes were not in public libraries until they were reprinted in 1998. So Irish people could read this travesty of a book long before they could borrow the pioneering work of sexology. And that's a fucking depressing thought. But now it's time to park my rage and see how the Chapman Report fares in censorship bingo. There is a lot of sex, both actual and theoretical, in this book, so I'm sure it will score highly. On the first line of censorship bingo, we have feminism. No, there's no feminist thought in this book at all. Orgies. No orgies. No drugs. Masturbation. Yes, Chapman and the lads discussed their findings on masturbation, so yes, it's discussed in a scientific sense. Racism. I'm actually going to tick this box because the cast is all white except for the help and that's just nasty. There were no sex toys. Menstruation? I don't think so. I don't think that was referred to. Sex work? No, nothing about that. Nothing about extramarital pregnancy. Crime? Not really. Politics? Nothing obviously political. Breasts. Naomi is defined almost entirely by her enormous boobs. Sexual assault. Yes, there is a particularly nasty gang rape scene that I definitely wouldn't read out, ever. Contraception. As I said earlier, the women having affairs use contraception because they're shameless hussies. Abortion, no references to abortion. Infidelity. Women sleeping around outside marriage is in fact the main theme of the book. Oral sex, no mention of that. Graphic violence. Apart from the gang rape, the murder of one woman is fairly explicitly described, so I will check that box. Bestiality, nothing about that. No references to genitalia. No obviously blasphemous content, 
no queer content. Divorce. Yes, one of the characters is a divorced woman. Swearing. No, there's no swearing. So the Chapman Report scores 8 out of 25, which is fairly high. But this book shows that lots of sex does not equal liberal or permissive attitudes to sex, marriage and gender. Lots of people probably read this book for the sex. I can only hope they didn't absorb all of Wallace's moral judgments. In the next episode, I hope to leave the moral debates of 1950s America behind. I'll be reading a thriller from 1933, The Werewolf of Paris, by Guy Endor. It's set in late 19th century Paris and has been described as the Dracula of the werewolf genre. What did this classic horror do to offend the Irish censors? I'm expecting blood, sex and weirdness. Until next time, please don't read the Chapman Report or watch the film. I don't want my sacrifice to be in vain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.